Hey church, we just heard an incredible message that we believe is for you. So get ready to be encouraged, to be strengthened. This will change your life. We love you so much. All right, you ready? We got to go full throttle. I ran out of time bragging on Pastor Earl and Onika. Luke 15. Okay, so here we go. Let me give you the backdrop of this story. We see that there's some characters there. And the characters in this story is on one side of the, the uh, paradigm or the spectrum is what's known as the sinners. There's a group of people that have fallen short of the standard of God, and they're labeled as the sinners. These would be drunkards, prostitutes, tax collectors, and people who love cats. That would all fall into... I'm just teasing. That, You got the sinner category, and then then you got the religious people category. These would be the Pharisees and the Sadducees. These would be people who studied Scripture their whole life. They have all the laws and regulations memorized verbatim. They were in the prayer rooms. They, They wore these big old drapery robes and had prayer tassels. They were identified as men who had the authority to talk on behalf of God. And so these would be this group of people. And then there's Jesus, and Jesus is at the center of this discussion. And and what ends up happening is, is Jesus is often found hanging out with the sinners. And it bugged the religious people. So one day the religious people talk to Jesus' disciples and they're like, Hey, how come your teacher hangs out with them? Why is he always with them? And Jesus, being the G that he is, overhears him talking behind his back. Hold up. Wait a minute. And Jesus steps on the scene. He's like, well, because you guys got this idea, let me give you a story. And it starts out with if you had 100 sheep and one lost sheep and one sheep got lost, wouldn't you leave the 99 and go search until you find the one lost sheep? And when you found it, won't you put it on your shoulder, carry it back, and call all your friends and neighbors and family and say, celebrate with me. My one lost sheep was lost, but now he's found. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner, one of these people who repents and returns to God, than over 99 others, you people, who are righteous and have never strayed away they still didn't get it they hard-headed so jesus has to tell them a second story and so he says okay or suppose that you're a woman and you had 10 coins and lost one and i love the doctrine of jesus because he points out the fact that women lose everything like, shame the devil, Jesus. Tell the truth. And so he's like, and so suppose, suppose you lost a coin. Wouldn't you search the whole house, lift up the couch cushions, look in the junk drawer, yell at your husband for sitting there watching TV and not feeling passionate about losing, finding your lost stuff, and then yell at the kids and tell them to be quiet because you can't think and you need silence to think about where you lost something? I'm preaching the truth. And then when you found it in the place that you left it, <laughs> and your pants that you put in the washer, now they're in the dryer, and you got your money back, you're like, hey, girl, won't you call your girlfriend and be like, girl, I found my money. We're going to shop it. We got to get this one-day sale at Macy's that happens every day, but I got to get this makeup. <laughs> and they still didn't get it. So Jesus has to tell them a third story. Now, I want you to remember that this story is a fake story. This story is not a real story. Jesus is telling a story to talk about another story. He's using a fake story to talk about a real life story. And he's really using a fake story to talk about the characters in the real life story. So he jumps into Luke 15, and this is where we pick up. And it says this, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told him this story. 
a man had two sons, and the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. Now, essentially, you got to understand this. What this son would essentially be saying in the cultural context of this day was, it's not like, Dad, give me some money and we still good. It's basically, Dad, I wish you were dead. Dad, I wish you were dead. Matter of fact, I don't want your covering. I don't want your correction. I don't need your wisdom. I don't need your advice. I don't want anything you have to offer. Matter of fact, I really believe that I could do it better without you. So instead of waiting till you die, let's just act like you're dead now and pay me some money. And let me live my life. And at this portion of scripture, these people are like, mm, Jesus, you better preach. Because they knew when he was talking about the younger son, he was talking about these people. Because these people would have been the people that basically were living their life outside the context of a father's voice. Basically saying, I could do whatever I want to do. It's all going to work out better for me. I don't need God. And so Jesus is telling this story. He says, so the father divides his wealth between two sons. Now, I've read this story a million times, it felt like. And every time I read it, I just assumed that the father just only gave the money to the younger son. But that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says, so he agrees to divide his wealth between both his sons, which means the older brother got paid that day, too. And the reason why Jesus is talking about this is because he's trying to give this big viewpoint of God the Father. Remember I told you he's telling a fake story to talk about a real story. The fake story is two sons. Oh, what a coincidence. An older brother and a younger brother. The younger brother are these group of people. The older brother is this group of people. And the father in the story is about God in heaven. And really what he was saying was, my dad has enough to give everything away and still take care of the house. Because if you continue to read the story, you find out that dad doesn't die and he still has to take care of the, the servants and he still has to take care of the remainder of the family and he still got to keep the family business going, which is this big thought that I know you thought that our God was limited, but not only does he have enough to love the people you don't think he can love, he has enough to accept you outside of your performance. This God has enough. So the story reads on and it goes like this. And so the son packed all his belongings, and moved to Las Vegas. And there he wasted all his money at the, at the poker table and at the strip joints. And about some time his money ran out, there was no Chick-fil-A anywhere. So he began to starve. So he persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And the young man became so hangry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him Nathan. And when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, the hired servants have enough food to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son, so please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to the father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. And filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy being called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house, get that Versace and put it on him, and get the ring on for his finger and the heir Jesus is for his feet. And kill this calf, because we need some carne salad right about now, for we must celebrate. For this son of mine was dead. He's returned to life. He was lost. But now he's found. Play that funky music, white boy. And the party began. It's all in the scripture. You just got to read it sometimes. <laughs> what Jesus was saying, which is the title of my message, which is very simple but very yet profound, and this is my title, is he 
has enough. See, what Jesus was trying to say through this story was he's trying to paint this big picture of I know you think you know God because you studied the scripture since you was a kid. And I know you think you know about God because of what these guys told you. But let me just clear the air. My dad has enough. And some of you, you don't know it, but you are one of these people in the story right now. As I'm talking, we have younger sons and older sons, and they all think they know about dad. But dad has to reveal himself to us because there's some of us in this room that think that God only has enough for someone else, but not for. We don't say it. We don't admit it. But subconsciously, we say, well, God has enough to fix their marriage, but I'm not too sure he has enough to fix mine. God has enough to heal them people of cancer, but I'm not too sure he could heal my grandpa of cancer. God has enough to get their kid off the street, but I'm not too sure he could get my kid off the street. God has enough to beat that addiction in their life, but I've been trying really hard, prayed 10 times a day, and I've done everything to password protect my computer, but I still find myself on that website. I'm not too sure that he has enough. And what Jesus was saying is, contrary to popular belief, our God has enough. He's never bounced a check. He's never had a debit card be declined. Our God has enough. He is not limited. Matter of fact, Ephesians 3 says this, that I pray from his glorious unlimited. From his unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Do you know that our God is so big that he has enough not just to bless them, but enough to bless you. Not just enough to fix them, but enough to fix you. Not just enough to take care of them, but enough to take care of you. He has enough. I want to talk about the enough that he has. I'm going to give you a couple points today if you're taking notes. Point number one, he has enough to feed you. Now, somebody's like, uh, that's an awkward point there, Pastor Mika. Where's the, like, punchline? That is the punchline. You see, because there's something about appetite. Jesus was digging in this. I don't know if you caught it, but he says this. He says, when the son came home, he said, kill the calf we've been fattening. We got to kill this thing that I've been preparing even while my son was gone. I still had it even though I gave everything away. Because I don't know if you know this, but the son said he was so hungry one day, he, he was starving, that he was at the pig pods, and the pods started to look good to him. Now, to put this into context, we have to understand that he came from a wealthy family. How do we know that the son was part of a wealthy family? Because it says that the father had servants. You don't have service if you ain't got no money. Come on, somebody. I'm trying to get my kids to do chores, you know what I'm saying? But at the father's house, there were servants, which means that he was well taken care of at the farmer's house. His diet probably consisted of the finest foods possible. It was spoon fed to him. It was brought out to him. He never had to cook it, prepare it because someone else was always doing it. He was used to filet mignon. He was used to some good old ribs and fried chicken. He was used to some like, he was used to some good food. Come on, somebody. Someone's getting hungry right now. And so it blows my mind that now you're outside and you're out pig paws. Now, I don't know if you're a professional pig farmer. I, on the contrary, don't do nothing with pigs. But I do know this. You give pigs the nastiest of the nastiest food. It's like the leftover maggot-infested cantaloupe that you won't even feed your dog. Throw that to the pig. And so here is this thing, and there's a place where he would never in his natural mind ever eat anything in there. But because of his appetite, now something he would never touch looks good to him. Let me put it in perspective. 
Some of you, would, you, you normally wouldn't do a one-night stand. But because of your appetite of being lonely, you start doing things that you normally don't do. I normally don't go on those websites and look at that stuff and stay there that long. But because of my appetite, it's got me looking at things that I normally don't look at. Because of my appetite, you know, I normally don't drink that much, but I am really stressed out right now. And because of my stressed out appetite, I have to suppress it. I'm normally not into going into my auntie's cabinet and taking pain pills, but I just can't deal with the world right now. So I start doing things that I normally do. I normally don't cuss out people like that, but every time I go to Walmart... I got this. And Jesus knew something about appetite. As a matter of fact, so did these people because these people would have remembered Genesis chapter 3. Do you know what the very first sin in humanity is based around? Appetite. They're in the garden. The Bible says that there's a garden all around them with all kinds of trees and fruit they can eat from. But yet in the middle is a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they're told not to eat it or they'll die. Really, it'll be separated from the father. And one day the serpent slides up in her DMs. Come on, somebody. He slides up in Eve's DMs. And he's like, (laughs) when you got Invisaligns, that's the best you could do. He like, hey, girl. <laughs> you going to eat from that tree? She's like, nah. God said, I can't eat it or touch it or I'll die. Well, he never said he couldn't touch it, but you'll make God say things that he ain't saying when you distance yourself from him. And so he says, oh, you won't die. You'll just be more like God. She wasn't even hungry. But the thought of being more like God produced in. And because of appetite, she makes a decision that ends up separating her from God because she let the appetite get the best of her. And this is what Jesus was trying to talk about, appetite. He was like, younger son, you weren't hungry when you got to the pig pods. You had an appetite when you left the house. It just got exposed with the pods. But you had an appetite for something, power, authority, Free will that it made you leave the house long before the pig slop. It's an appetite. Jesus knew about appetite. Matter of fact, like when Jesus gets baptized, he comes out the water and the Bible says his father shouts from heaven. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then the Bible says the Holy Spirit leads Jesus out to the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights where he eats nothing. Do you know what the very first temptation of the enemy is? Appetite. If you're really the son of God, turn these rocks into some Snyder's bread or some Hawaiian rolls. Do it, Jesus. And Jesus makes this statement. He says, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. I love what Jesus says. We like to jump on the every word, but we don't. We miss the fact that he says you can eat bread. Just not bread alone. He's saying your need for acceptance, That's I put that in you. Go ahead, be accepted. You want to be loved? You want to get married and Netflix and chill? Go ahead and do that. We want you to be married. You want to be successful? You want to buy the car? You want to get the Louis bag? You want to get the big house? You want to do all that stuff? Go ahead, do all that stuff, but don't let your appetite for people and things trump your appetite for God. It's appetite. 
There's another thing that he has enough to do. He has enough. And for the record, there's nothing that you can substitute for your appetite that God can only fill. There's no thing. There is no amount of zeros in your bank account. There's no item that you can buy. There's no amount of girls or guys you can be with. There's no place or zip code you can live in that will ever fulfill the appetite that can only be fulfilled by the Father. But the second thing, not only does he have enough to feed you, he has enough to clothe you. And in the text, he says this, quick, get the finest robe. The finest robe was the father's robe. It was taken out of his wardrobe. It was the best thing in the house because the best thing in his house always comes from dad. Has enough to clothe you. Well, what's so big deal about clothing? Well, clothing does two things. Number one, it covers. Like all of us got dressed today starting to cover our private parts first. I want to make sure I don't go to church without these on. You know what I'm saying? So he put on our garments that cover the private parts that we don't want to expose. But every single one of us even took it a little step further. Like there are some people who are like, I don't like the way my belly looks in this other shirt. So I'm going to get me a bigger shirt because i got to cover. Or, you know, they ain't going to look at my cottage cheese legs. No, they're not. I'm about to put some pants on because my legs is pasty white. And I put some tan lotion on it. And now I look like a Oompa Loompa. So I'm just going to make sure. Yeah. Some of you ladies, you had a bad acne day. You just put on that cover up. Just, uh, just cover up all this stuff. Some of you even said, I ain't even got enough eyebrows. I'm just going to paint some on. Just <laughs> Please don't flash no water on me, Pastor, because they will disappear. <laughs> so I, some of y'all ain't been baptized, but good news for you, we got a new technique. <laughs> baptized, you're just like, hey, let's go. We got you covered. And all of us did something intentionally to cover up the places and parts that we don't want exposed. We all did that. That's what clothing does. It covers. And they would have known this. The religious scholars would have went back to Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, after Eve bites of the fruit, the Bible says that they knew their nakedness and felt shame. So the Bible says that Adam and Eve, after they ate it, they went and found some fig leaves, had some fig of balloons made. <laughs> Cheesy pastor jokes. <laughs> went up in Eve's secret <laughs> and found, <laughs> I'm trying, man. <laughs> and the Bible says they sewed fig leaves together to make clothes for themselves. And God steps in. He's like, yo, what happened? They're like, oh, we're naked. He's like, who told you you were naked? And the Bible says that because God saw them, he noticed something about those fig leaves. He noticed that they would not adequately cover them because they would wilt and wither. He knew that Eve and Adam, if you wear these garments tomorrow, those things are going to crack and you're going to have to put some new ones on. And in a couple of days later, you're going to be exposed again and you're going to have to put some new ones on. Have you ever saw someone who's wearing something that don't fit? Don't look at them. <laughs> but it's like a shirt that's too small, and every time they stand up, they're doing this move. Or, or they got those shorts on, they're like too short, and I don't even know why they bought them. And they tried them on, but they, they're going to work. And then all day long, they're like trying to pull them back down. All up in your butt crack. There's nothing you can do. You can't stretch denim. Denim doesn't stretch. And you can just tell it looks awkward. Like, why are you doing that? Can I just tell you, that's what some of us look like with Jesus. 
We're constantly wearing things that don't fit and then trying to cover it up to act like nothing's wrong. So we'll worship louder to cover up the fact that I ain't been in my Bible at all and I've been on websites that I don't want no one to know. We, we cover up the fact and we try to cover it up with success to make it look like our family's doing better than what it really is. So we have a lot of nice things, but we're really not married. We don't even spend any time together. We are just two people that share business transactions in the same house. And no one knows we just covered up. We just, we just kind of covered up with beauty and we covered up with fashion and we cover up all this stuff. I bought my kids everything they need to cover up the fact that I don't know how to be a dad. And we're just covering. And the Bible says, Genesis chapter 3, I believe verse 21 says, and the Lord God made clothing for Adam and his wife. Here's what he did. He went and killed something and took the skin of that animal and covered it over Adam and Eve. And what Jesus was saying was he was foreshadowing the fact that God is going to do the same thing for both of you. That the, gar- the garments that all of you, this little big old prayer tassel thing, that ain't going to cover you. And all this stuff that you've been trying to cover with all the inadequacies, it won't cover you. But my father, he has a robe of righteousness. He has a coat of salvation. It's going to be found through the blood of my sacrifice and he will cover you. See, clothes. Clothing just doesn't cover. Clothing gives identity. How do we know this? Because you can go to one store and get a black t-shirt for $9.99. You can go to another store and get a black t-shirt for $85. And the difference is a logo. Because we know that clothing provides identity. It's why we can have two red purses, but one red purse with a certain symbol on it gives us a different status than the other red purse. That's why, that's why one car with a different emblem on it gives us a different status than the other car. Same manufacturer. Cadillac, Chevy, they're both made by GMC. But Cadillac says something that Chevrolet doesn't. And so here's what happens. We keep trying to cover ourselves with things that will give us an identity. And so we're spending everything we've got on things that can never make us feel something. But I'm here to tell you that the garment that Jesus got through his sacrifice, it cannot be bought at Neiman Marcus. You can't drive it off a car lot. It comes with the blood-stained rags of Jesus' salvation. And when you put that garment on, it does something that nothing else can do. These people would have remembered Isaiah and they would remember this scripture. I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God for he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. When I read this text a million times and I heard that the father ran out to the son to meet him. I thought that the father obviously moved with compassion and he was. He ran out there to hug him and greet him but the first response of the father was quick. Quick, get the finest robe. Why was the finest robe so important? And I started thinking about it because here's why. The dad wanted to get to him first because he knew his son looked unrecognizable. He knew he smelled of his past. He knew he reeked of his decisions. He knew he looked like where he had came from. And the father knew if I can get to him first and put my garment on him, by the time he gets home, they're not going to identify him with where he's been. They're going to identify him as who he is. And he is not just some stranger coming home. He is a son of the father. And who the father sets free, it's free indeed. There's a coat that God wants to cover. You may be dirty. You may be nasty.
empty. You may have some inadequacies. Oh, but the blood-stained garment of Jesus covers all your sin and covers all your shame. And you have nothing to worry about because when he sees you, he sees his son in whom he's well pleased. Sit down. I got to give you this. I wish I had more time. I'll tell you that he also has enough to believe in you again. See, some of us think that God could just believe in us one time, but he doesn't just believe in you one time. Even when you screw up, he has this capacity to believe in you again. He puts the ring on his finger, which establishes family identity and sandals on his feet because sons get sandals. Servants didn't wear sandals. And what he was saying was, son, I'm putting this on you. And when I die for real... I'm going to give you an inheritance. See, some of you, you said you were going to give God your life. You said you were going to serve God. You said, I'm going to get involved. I'm going to do the growth track. And you did. And then you messed up and you did something stupid and automatically felt like God's not going to take me back. But I'm here to tell you, the gifts and calling are without repentance. God put his hand on you. And he has the, capa- he has the capacity to look past your past and see your potential. Jesus was saying through this story, this story is really not about the younger son. It's really not about the older son. This story is about dad. And I just want to let you know, he has enough. Every eye closed, every head bowed. Father, God, all across this room, God, I pray that it would sink in today, that we would realize that God the Father has enough to cover us. God the Father has enough to fulfill the appetite that we've been trying to chase. God the Father has the ability to believe in us and cover us and restore us. He loves us that much. And God, I pray that many people will be freed up today by the power of this message. And there's some of you here today that don't have a relationship with God the Father. You may be sitting in the overflow. You may be watching online. You might be at another location. And if you're honest, you've been trying to to feed your appetite with things that never satisfy. And you've been trying to cover yourself with things that wither. And so it's a constant rat race. But today, with the acceptance of Jesus Christ, everything can change for you. You'll be reestablished back to the Father. And He will adore you. And He will love you. And He will promote you. And He will build you. And if you're here today in the balcony, on the lower level, any location, you would say, Pastor Mekon, I'm not in relationship with Jesus. He is not the Lord and Savior of my life. And I need him because I need God the Father. I need that relationship restored. And Jesus is the answer. And if you're here today and you would say, Pastor, will you pray for me? Because today, I'm going to give my life over to him. I'm not going to make any more excuses. I'm going to give him all of me. If that's you, with every eye closed, every head bowed, I'm just going to ask you right now just to shoot your hand up in the air. By raising your hand, you're saying, pray for me. Yep, hands are going up. Raising your hand, you're saying, pray for me. I'm starting a relationship with Jesus. Tons of hands in the balcony. Tons of hands here at the lower level. Anybody else, you're saying, today is my day. I'm no longer going to live outside of the house. I'm coming back to the Father and it's found through the Son. Anybody else saying, I'm just, I'm done. I'm done doing me and today's my day. Thank you. Thank you. Hands up everywhere. Thank you going to put your hands down. Let me pray for you. Father God, I pray for every hand that was risen. I pray you do an amazing work in and through their life that today starts a new beginning and a fresh start starts right now. Church, repeat this prayer after me, especially those that raise their hands. Say this, say, dear Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to live for you 
and to love you all the days of my life. Today I'm new. Today I'm changed. Today I'm forgiven. Today I'm free. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast, church. If you gave your life to Jesus today, we'd love to know you, meet you, and hear your story. So be sure to email your information to info at shorelinecity.church so we can get you the tools you need to grow in Christ and impact this world. Love you, church.